days, we would switch every four to six weeks, we would switch uh, locations. And, uh, but post-COVID, we've been much more remiss. And so it's been since November since I've been down here. So it's so great to be back here, seeing old friends, meeting new ones. I hear so many great things, obviously, about what God's doing down here in Pittsburgh. Love what God's doing. And uh, thanks for letting me come south of the hall. I really appreciate that. It's very generous of you to uh, welcome me. Anyway, uh, for those of you who are new, we're in the middle of a series called Step Into the Story. Some of these passages are uh, pretty long, so we're having people recite some of the passages or read those dramatically. Matt, thanks so much for your great reading uh, here just a few minutes ago uh, as we step into the Jesus story all the way up until Easter. So today we're going to talk about in-laws. Where else better place to start but in-laws, right? In-laws. Who has a good relationship with your in-laws or had a good relationship with your in-laws? Oh, look at that. I see, I see people like nudging and smiling and snuggling up to their in-laws. That's beautiful. How many of you have not so great relationship with in-laws? Uh, I see a few hands there and don't show your spouse. That sounds fantastic. Okay. I, I have a great relationship with my, with my in-laws. My, my wife, Kelly, her parents are divorced. And uh, her stepmom, Evelyn, and I have a particularly fun and playful kind of pop-off relationship. Uh, we're texting back and forth during March Madness. We, uh, we, we're, having a, we're having a good time. And uh, she often jokes on me about any number of things, and I joke right back on her. And she introduced me many years ago to a phrase that was probably pretty common. I just hadn't heard it before. And we're in a situation where I am uh, looking for something. They're visiting our house. I'm looking for something, and uh, I think it's some keys. And I report back to my wife that I can't find the thing that I'm looking for. To which Evelyn, my wife's stepmom, overhears that and asks me, Alex, were you looking like a man? I'd never heard this phrase or this question before, but I knew it was not a compliment, right? It was obvious it was not a compliment. What exactly does it mean, Evelyn, to be looking like a man? And she said, looking like a man means you vaguely looked around in the vicinity of things. You didn't move a thing. No object was disturbed in the looking for the thing that you might be looking for. Even if the object might be blocking what's underneath it, you did not move a thing. You just sort of vaguely looked over it and moved nothing. At that point, I realized I could not take any offense whatsoever because I have indeed spent my entire life looking like a man. (laughs) That's pretty much how I roll. Today, we're talking about sight. When you look like a man, you don't move anything to see what might be underneath or behind. The whole story today is about who sees, and the real question is, who sees Jesus? And the reality is, for every single one of us, there are going to be things that block us from being able to see Jesus. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian your whole life, or you're exploring faith, re-exploring faith, your spouse dragged you here or dragged you here on the regular. In order to see Jesus, you're going to have to maybe move some things and remove some barriers in order to see Jesus. You cannot go on your spiritual journey looking like a man. So today we're talking about not looking like a man. Amen? (laughs) That you might actually see Jesus. Because here's the thing. You've got a story. I've got a story. Hopefully you've got some ups. Guaranteed you've got some downs. Guaranteed it, right? And here's the deal. No promise of happily ever after. But for 2,000 years, people have found that by joining their story with Jesus' story, it introduces a redemptive power, a grace, a beauty, a strength that is not available any other way. He can redeem any story. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if you could look back on your hardest days, your darkest days, the days you don't like thinking about, the memories you don't like sort of going back to, wouldn't it be great for people to say, you know what, because I let Jesus in, the worst days, my worst days are now some of my greatest gifts I give to the people around me and to the world. Wouldn't that be a great thing to be able to say? Wouldn't it be great 
to say, hey, because I stepped into Jesus, the Jesus story, because I let Jesus step into my story, I've got new strength, new peace, new resilience. Hey, my friends, any of you need some peace today? Anyone need some strength today? Anyone need some wisdom to navigate the challenges you're up against today? Wouldn't it be great to be able to say, because I'm stepping into the Jesus story, because I'm letting Jesus into my story, I'm learning how to live out that story. And the Jesus story has rhythms and cadence. There's, there's things about it. There's a way about it. There's a path of wisdom it lays out. Wouldn't it be great to be able to say from this day forward that you're making better decisions into the future? As one pastor says, better decisions, fewer regrets. Wouldn't that be a great way to describe the rest of your life? Because you're walking in the Jesus way. Because you stepped into the Jesus story of letting it shape your story, shape how you're thinking about life, how you navigate the world's challenges. The only way you step into the Jesus story with all that power, all that grace, all that wisdom is if you are able to see Jesus for who he is. And there's going to be things that block you seeing Jesus. So today we're going to talk about not looking like a man on the spiritual journey, but removing barriers and obstacles that might be present to you seeing Jesus. Jesus, for who he really is, how much he really loves you, all that he's actually done to save the whole world and to redeem you as well. Now, the story that Matt read for us opens with this question from the disciples that reveals sort of a cultural assumption of the day. They go, they're coming across a man who they, found out, they find out was born blind, right? They ask him, or they ask some people around him, what happened to this man? He was born blind. So the disciples ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. So this is a common cultural assumption of the first century. Everyone knows if someone was born blind, it was because his parents had sinned or because he had sinned or was going to do something terrible, right? Common knowledge. Everyone knows that, right? Just a given. That's how the world works. Now, of course, we look at that and say, of course, that's not true. We know that's not true, but that's not, that, wasn't the day, that wasn't what they knew. They assumed, everyone assumed, it was just common knowledge. This is how the world works. We have to pause here because here's the reality. Every culture, every generation, every era has common cultural assumptions that are wrong, that are barriers to you seeing Jesus. Barrier number one that has to be moved in order for you to see Jesus. The commonly held cultural assumptions of this day. Look, every generation has them. Every culture has them all over the place. And there's always going to be things that block you from seeing Jesus if you just absorb what's in the air around you, right? My, my grandfather, my opa, 102 years old, I think now, 102, still kicking down in Charlotte. He's my, my parents say he's kind of on his last days, right? He's kind of, he's winding down. But here's the deal. When, when Opa was born 102 years ago, here's what everyone knew. White people were better. That was just common, especially white people, right? Everyone knew there's a racial hierarchy. The white people were better. That was just given, common, in the air. And that was a total barrier to people actually seeing Jesus, actually being a part of the Jesus story. Because the Jesus story from the jump, the Jesus story has always broken down racial, ethnic divides and barriers. The church started as this crazy, eclectic, multi-ethnic gathering. It breaks down racial and ethnic barriers like nothing else in human history ever has or ever has the power to do. And so the commonly held cultural assumption that white people were better than everyone else was a massive barrier to people actually stepping in to the Jesus story. What are you absorbing from the culture that's a barrier to you stepping into the Jesus story? In my own life, 
I uh, live in an American culture, and you do too, where everything happens super quickly, right? Everything happens approximately the speed of light, which I kind of like. I like to work fast. I like to talk fast. I like to be fast, okay? I like speed. I like things getting done quickly. And when God doesn't come through at the speed of light, I've had points where I've been so frustrated with God, so disappointed with God. God, don't you care? Why aren't you showing up? Why aren't you showing up here? Don't you care? Why aren't you moving as quickly as I think you should be moving, as quickly as everything else around me is moving? Don't you care about my family? Don't you care about the church or the job or the work or this issue or this family member I'm praying for? God, don't you care? Why aren't you moving at the speed of light? Look, 100 years ago, when my opa was born, things didn't move as quickly. The expectations weren't the same. I've absorbed that from the culture that everything should happen immediately, immediately, immediately. And so you know what I have to do? I have to repent of my demand that God move as quickly as everything in my culture says it should move. Because me expecting God to move at the speed of American culture has blocked me from seeing what Jesus was actually doing, has kept me from being able to enter into the slow, unhurried rhythms of grace and mercy. I have to actually repent of that. God, help me to see how you're moving and how you're working at your Speed, my friends, every culture, every generation for all times has had and will have common cultural assumptions that will be barriers to you seeing Jesus. If you don't want to look like a man, here's the question you have to answer. Ask, what commonly held cultural assumptions might you need to move out of the way? Things that everyone agrees, everyone just lives by. This is just normal. This is how it is. Everyone thinks this is how it is. But you need to move it out of the way. Put it aside in order to actually see Jesus. The disciples echo the commonly held cultural assumptions of their day. Who was born, who was, who sinned that this man was born blind? Jesus corrects this, right? Jesus corrects this with this, with this response. He says, listen, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. This happened so the works of God might be displayed in him. So here's my question. Have you ever experienced a miracle or known someone who has said, hey, I've experienced God work. I've seen a miracle. Anyone seen that and experienced that? Here's the thing. Here's my suggestion. I think... Everyone loves a good miracle story, right? Everyone loves it when there's stories of God's grace breaking in and saving the day and rescuing things. Everyone loves a miracle story, but nobody wants to be in a miracle story. Because a miracle story almost always starts terribly. The cancer diagnosis, marriage going off the rails, kids going off the rails, I lost my job. It almost always starts terribly, and the miracle comes through and saves the day and intervenes, which is awesome. Everyone loves the miracle, but who wants to be diagnosed with cancer to begin with? Who wants the marriage to be hanging by a thread to begin with? Who wants the kids going off the rails to begin with? Everyone loves a good miracle story. No one wants to be in a miracle story. It almost always starts difficult and hard. Jesus says, hey, no one sinned. This man is, is blind that God's works might be demonstrated in him, that he might have a miracle story to tell, that he might experience the grace of God in a powerfully profound way, and that he then might have a story to tell, be able to bear witness to the power of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God. Jesus says, I'm going to go write a miracle story in this man's life that he might be transformed. Here's the deal. You've got a story, plenty of ups, plenty of downs, lots of downs. It's in the down places where God's grace most powerfully meets us most frequently, right? It's in those down seasons where God's grace moves towards us in new ways with new power, new light, and new life. 
And so Jesus comes along the side, this man who's been, been blind his entire life, to display the works of God, the goodness of God in him and in his body, in his life, in his spirit, all across the board. Verse 6, Jesus says this, after saying this, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, this word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now, if you're a personal space kind of person, this story totally freaks you out, <laughs> right? He spits, makes some mud, and then he touches this man's eyes, right? Now, some of you are like, you're like dying on the inside thinking about this happening to you, right? It's like cringy, right? So Jesus gets up close personal, does this weird thing, and then he sends him to the pool called Scent. Go to Scent. Wash. Maybe he's just washing the mud off his eyes. Maybe he's taking a whole bath, right? It's not entirely clear. So he goes and does exactly what Jesus says, right, to his credit, and only after he goes and washes can he see. This is interesting, isn't it? Because Jesus heals people all the time with just a word or just touches them and everything is made well. Why do this little exercise? Why make him go, right? Why make him go do anything? Well, about a month ago, we wrapped up our Living Supernaturally series. We talked about miracles for one part of that series. If you weren't here for that series, this is a great series. Go check it out online. We talked about what does it mean to kind of live supernaturally, experience the supernatural grace of God. And one week we talked about miracles. And one of the things you see throughout the scriptures about miracles is faith is almost always a piece of a miracle. Sometimes Jesus says, your faith has healed you, even though Jesus was the one that healed them, right? Jesus touched them. He'll say, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Faith is almost always a part of a miracle. Now, Jesus has plenty of faith for everybody, enough faith to heal with a touch, and, and he has faith in God's power to heal. But very often, occasionally, what Jesus will do is he'll invite the person being healed to take a step of faith, to contribute to the faith environment, right? To contribute to the faith, the spiritual environment, the spiritual like, sort of atmosphere. That if they take a step of faith, it contributes faith to the larger kind of healing equation so that there's power. My friends, there, is, there, there are no miracles apart from some piece of faith somewhere, somehow. Either you have faith or someone around you has faith. And so sometimes what Jesus will do is he'll invite them to take a step of faith, even if it makes no sense. Will they go and do it as a part of the healing process? My friends... Every Sunday, we have people in here who are longing for God to work in their lives. Sometimes praying for, longing for a miracle for themselves, for a family member, for a situation, for a friend. Great prayers. Great prayer. But maybe, just maybe, as a part of that prayer of asking for God to do a miracle, there's something else that needs to move. This is barrier number two that has to be moved in order to see Jesus at work. Lord, do I need to move in order to see you work? Do I need to move? Is there a step of obedience I need to take? A step of faith I need to take, even if it makes no sense on the surface, like go wash in this pool and see what happens. Is there a step of faith or obedience that you might need to take in order to experience what God wants to do in your life? Sometimes in order to do that, in order to experience God work in our life, we have to take a step of faith that doesn't make much sense. It's a faith is a small of a mustard seed, but trusting that the Lord's going to do something with that. Lord, do I need to move? Do I need to do something? Is there a step of faith you're inviting me into? And on the other side of that step of faith, I will see you move and work in the way that I am longing to see you move and work. Some of you might be just one small, maybe ridiculous sounding step of faith away from receiving the work of grace God wants to do in your life. Is there a step of faith that God would have you to take in order to experience his grace and mercy? Now, 
this is a great miracle, right? Like someone was born blind and now they can see. It's fantastic. It's a beautiful work of faith. And it, you would think that this would be like welcomed by all parties and everyone, but his friends are a little bit confused. Like, hey, is this the same guy? Is it not the same guy? But he himself says, listen, dude, I am the man. The first person to say, say I'm the man in all of human history. I am the man who was born blind, right? And so they say, well, how'd this happen? And, and well, they say, well, Jesus did this. And they say, well, where is this Jesus guy? And they say, well, he says, well, I don't know. I'm not sure where he is. So, you, so the first part of the story is this physical healing, this physical sight giving, which turns out to be the easy part. That turns out to be the easy part. The hard part is seeing who is Jesus. Who is Jesus? The whole rest of the story is all about understanding, people starting to wrestle with, or can they see or not see who Jesus actually is? And throughout the course of the story, this man who is healed, his sight improves spiritually. Physically, he can see fine. Now, spiritually, can he see? So this is his first description of his understanding of Jesus. The first thing he says about Jesus is, I don't know. Not only do I not know where he is, I don't actually know who he is. And the question throughout the rest of the story is, is anyone going to actually see Jesus? And you're going to watch as his sight improves spiritually over the course of the whole story. His sight is going to keep getting better and better and clearer and clearer as he starts to see Jesus more and more clearly. So the man is healed, and you would think that people would be celebrating this, especially the religious people, for crying out loud, right? The religious people, of all people, to be like, praise God, this is amazing, but they're upset because the healing happened on Sabbath. Now, if you're not a church person, a Bible person, the Sabbath was this ancient holy day for the Jews. It was in the Ten Commandments to keep the Sabbath holy. It's a day of rest. It's a great gift to all of people who obey it, right? It's a gift of grace to rest. They were slaves in Egypt for 400 years, no rest. Coming out of that, God says, I'm going to give you a gift one day a week. Don't work. Trust me. It'll be okay. Just rest. So it's a great gift. But what happened over the hundreds of years is that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they built up all these laws, these dozens and dozens of rules around it. What was work? What wasn't work? How many steps? Could, like they literally had a, a thing. How many steps could you take in a row before it counted as work? Before you had to stop and make a little fire or drink a cup of tea and then take a break and then keep walking? Like there were all these rules and rules and rules. So the Pharisees were the most observant of all the sort of first century Jews. And so the Sabbath observation was the litmus test for who the holy people of God were and who the people of God were not. So some of the Pharisees said this, right? This man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. Look, right in front of their eyes is a person who was born blind and now we can see and they can't see it, Right? Because they have some preconceptions, some, pre, some, some convictions about what people of God do do and what people of God don't do. And so their convictions about, and their interpretation of what people who are supposed to be sent from God look like blinds them from seeing the miracle right in front of them. Barrier number three that might have to be moved in order for you to see Jesus. Sometimes deeply held personal, even religious convictions can get in the way of you actually seeing Jesus. See, it turns out seeing is not believing. Seeing is not believing. If you are so convinced that it has to look a certain way, even if you see a miracle right in front of you, you can write it off, blow it off, dismiss it, rationalize it, and not see the work of God in your very 
life. Seeing is not believing. And it's not just a religious problem. Not just a religious people's problem. We'll talk about religious people in a minute. But, but hey, listen, if you know, if you know for sure there are no miracles, Merry Christmas early, you're never going to see a miracle. If you know for certain miracles don't happen, you're consigning yourself to a life where miracles never happen. If you are exploring faith or coming back to faith after a long time away or exploring Jesus for the very first time and you are a deeply, deeply devoted Democrat or Republican and you demand, the only way I'm going to follow Jesus, the only way I'm going to like Jesus is if he agrees with my politics, you're not going to see Jesus. He will not fit neatly in 21st century American political ideology buckets. He's a first century Jew, for crying out loud. He doesn't even know some, some of the things that we're back wrestling with. If you come in with these preconvictions that Jesus has to align with your political agenda, you will not see Jesus. Sometimes the barrier that has to be removed so that you don't look like, look, look like a man for Jesus is personally deeply held convictions that are good. And this is a... This is a problem for religious people, right? The Pharisees are super religious people. And this is a challenging thing for us religious people because the only way people do beautiful things for Jesus, take risks for the Lord, whether it's sharing your faith with your coworkers or getting on a plane and going overseas, sharing the gospel or starting a new nonprofit in Jesus' name. The only way people do crazy, wonderful, world-changing things in Jesus' name is that they have deep convictions about Jesus. So we have to have deep convictions about the Lord, but sometimes we have to hold some things loosely in order to be open to what the Lord's doing and how the Lord's at work in our lives. Because just like the Pharisees have Bible verses they can point to for how important the Sabbath is, we can have Bible verses we can point to that hold on to our convictions but still blind us to seeing who Jesus actually is. I was talking with a man this past week. He's in his late 50s, and he described his, uh, he described his church upbringing as a kid as fundamentalist American Christianity. And so it was a lot of like, America is the new Israel, we're the chosen people, and a lot, a lot, a lot of Bible verses that had a lot of rules, and a lot of rules on top of the rules, on top of the rules, on top of the rules, on top of the rules. It was American fundamentalist Christianity. And he said, it, it worked for me in my teenagers, into my early 20 years, I was all in, all in, and then in my mid-20s, the whole thing fell apart. I was exhausted. It, I realized this was terrible. It was angry. It was self-righteous. It was smug, and it was totally incoherent. It didn't make sense of the Bible at all. So he walked away from faith for a couple of years, just chucked the whole thing. And then he came back, and he started working through his religious fundamentalism. There's some things that he realized that were based in the Bible, like the Sabbath regulations, but there was like dozens and dozens of rules around it that actually weren't biblical that he had to just discard. He realized that some of the things about sort of America and God bless America, the ways that that got integrated into his faith that weren't actually biblical, that were too woven together, where America was the new Israel. It was like, that's not biblical at all. He had to kind of just chuck some of that stuff. And then he had to look at Jesus and say, who is Jesus really? What is Jesus actually up to? How am I actually going to live out? What does actual authentic Christianity look like? He had to remove a bunch of barriers, religious convictions that he held deeply, strongly for many years that his whole community, his parents and the adults around him had held very strongly for a lot of years in order to actually see Jesus. The Pharisees have religious convictions. They can back them up with the Bible. There's a Sabbath thing. But then they built all these other convictions around it that simply had become uh, tripping hazards for them to be able to see and experience the actual work of God. They are 100% sure anyone sent by God, anyone who is from God, would align exactly with their interpretation of the scriptures. There's just one problem. 
Here's a man before them that was born blind. Now he sees. And the person who's healing him is not aligning with their deep convictions about Sabbath practices. So, they, so they, they're divided about them. Some of them say, I don't want anything to do with this guy. Others of them say, hey, this guy, this Jesus guy, he healed this man. So we got to deal with it. So they're divided about him. So they go back to the blind man and say, hey, what do you say about him? He's your eyes he opened. And here the man says, he is a prophet. So a few minutes ago, I don't know what he, talked, what he said about Jesus. I don't know who he is. I don't know where he is. Now, the man who was born blind, he's starting to see a little bit more clearly. His spiritual sight's becoming a little more clear. He articulates it a little more clearly. Clearly, he must be a prophet. Now, prophets, like Old Testament Jewish prophets, were people who received words from God, often did miracles, miraculous things in his name. Now, it's not quite the full picture of who Jesus is, but he's starting to see a little bit more clearly. It's a little less fuzzy. It used to be, I don't know. Now, he declares, this man must be a prophet. Now, the Pharisees don't like that answer. So they boot him out, and they bring the parents in. The parents are like, we don't know either because he's of age. Ask him because they don't want to get kicked out of the synagogue, which is bad news for every first century Jew, not just religiously but also culturally and socially. It's the epicenter of all things there in the community. So they bring the man born blind back, and they start to ratchet up the pressure. Now watch as they ratchet up the pressure how the man's responses get more and more faithful. He gets a little chippy, actually, with them, which is kind of entertaining. He gets, but he gets more, as, as they get more and more aggressive toward him, he digs in deeper and deeper and deeper into his faith in Jesus. That's just starting to emerge along the way. John 9, verse 24 says, give glory to God. They said, we, don't, we know, by telling the truth, we know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already. You did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? <laughs> then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of who? Moses. Who wrote the Ten Commandments? Moses. Where's the Sabbath law in? Moses, right? Yeah, look, like, that's like the biggest gun you can possibly pull out in ancient Judaism, right? We are the followers of Moses, you loser. We know God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. <laughs> that man gets even more chippy. Now, that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Of course, the Pharisees are grateful for this little correction. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. Remember that same assumption, right? The same assumption the disciples had, the, the, the Pharisees have, right? He's born blind because of sin. You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? They threw him out. Jesus heard they'd thrown him out, and he went and found him. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? I'll come back to that in a second. So Jesus heals a man. Heals a man. Awesome. On the Sabbath. Causes a kerfluffle with the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And, and the result is he runs through this inquisition, right? This is a trial, like a literal trial, right? He's run through this rigmarole of, of very difficult pressure put on him by the religious leaders where it's just getting more and more and more intense. And eventually the man gets kicked out of the synagogue and Jesus goes and finds him, right? And kind of closes the, the deal with him. But here's the thing that I hadn't really thought about until it came up in my small group this past week. We're talking about this passage. And the, and the thing that came up is why doesn't Jesus stop the trial? Why doesn't Jesus just jump into the trial? I mean, the man gets run through the ringer. His parents get run through the ringer. 
why doesn't Jesus stop the trial? Now, you know, you, you see his faith growing, right? You see his boldness growing for Jesus, but this is hard. His parents get run through the ringer. Like, it's challenging. And here's the reality. Sometimes I go through trials, and I'm like, where's Jesus? Sometimes I go through difficult seasons. Where's Jesus? Sometimes I'm tempted to think that if I'm going through trial, and I don't have a sense of God at work, or don't have a sense of God stopping this crazy thing, that God's not there, doesn't care for me, isn't for me. And sometimes I get so hung up on the where and the why question, why is God happy when this happened, where is God, that I actually miss what Jesus is actually up to. Because I'm so caught up in trying to be set free from the trial or disappointments that I'm just like blind to what Jesus is actually doing in the midst of the trial and disappointment, right? So barrier number four has to be removed to see Jesus, assuming we should not experience pain or disappointment or trials. It's going to happen, right? It's going to happen. Now, just because we experience the trials and pain and difficulties doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't care or he's not there. He circles back to this man and cares for him. But here's the reality. Jesus does not stop the trial in this man's life. He will not stop every trial in your life either. There will be things that happen in your life and in my life that we do not get a clear why behind. There's no rhyme or reason to it. We don't live in a sitcom. Everything doesn't wrap up in 26 minutes, right? But here's the reality. Everyone experiences trial, pain, and disappointment. Christian, not a Christian, doesn't matter. It's just a question of what are you going to do with your pain? Trial, pain, disappointment is inevitable for everyone. Here's the invitation, or here's the fork in the road. You can either turn away from Jesus, and that pain remains unredeemed. Or you can turn toward Jesus and let him be the redeemer of your pain and your heartbreak. It's not a question of if you're going to experience trial, pain, setback, disappointment. It's just a question of what are you going to do with your trial, pain, disappointment. And we should not go through life assuming that because we are following Jesus, it's going to mean we're alleviated or set free from every single trial, pain, and disappointment. Jesus does not set, uh, spare this man the trial that he goes through. What he does do is circle back and tend to him and make sure that he knows that he's beloved and he seals the deal with him in this conversation. So my friends, if you're experiencing pain, trial, disappointment, I've got good Good news and bad news. Bad news, you aren't spared by that, by Jesus. The good news is he's with you, he's with you, he's with you, he's for you, and he's got the power to bring good out of any trial, any situation. Barrier four has to be removed to see Jesus, assuming we should not experience pain, disappointment, or heartbreak. Here's how the story closes. Jesus heard they'd thrown him out, so he found him. And he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him, right? They're seeing him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment, I've come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin, but now that you claim you see, you can see your guilt remains. So the blind man cooperates. He goes and washes in this pool, right? He does something, experiences this crazy, wonderful physical healing. But the spiritual sight, that comes more slowly, right? It starts with, I don't know. Then, I'm, then he's a prophet. And then at the end, I believe and he worships, right? This is his man's spiritual sight slowly becoming more and more clear. Even as he goes through the trials, right, it becomes more and more clear about what 
who God is and what Jesus is up to. Meanwhile, the religious leaders who claim to see, they are blinded by their previously held convictions about what God should do or how God should work, and they miss him, and they miss him, and they miss him. My friends, everyone's invited to the sight story. Everyone's invited to the sight story. But the only way that you can see Jesus is if you are willing to not look like a man but to push aside the barriers that come in the way. So today's wildly important take home is to remove the barriers that are in the way of Jesus to step into the spiritual sight story, that you might actually begin and be able to see Jesus for who he is, that you might then step into the story of him giving you sight, spiritual sight, wisdom, understanding. Those barriers, again, barrier one, assuming that, that, well, the commonly held cultural assumptions of the day that we're awake and aware of, hey, there's commonly held assumptions. Listen, there's things that we all assume are true today that three generations from now, they will roll their eyes at us and shake their head and say, I can't believe they believe that. It's been true for every generation. There are things that we all believe are true today that are in the way of you seeing Jesus. Be awake, be aware that those things might block you from seeing Jesus. Barrier two, Lord, do I need to move? in order to see you work. Some of you might be one step away from a small step of obedience or step of faith or even a big step of obedience, a big step of faith that might unleash God's miracle work in you. Barrier number three, sometimes you have to hold loosely or even put away deeply held personal, even religious convictions that can get in the way, just like the Pharisees had chapter and verse and all the reasons why they held to the Sabbath. There are ways that we can put things in the way, even religious barriers to seeing who Jesus is. And finally, assuming that we should not experience pain, disappointment, or trials. The man born blind who gets healed, he experienced trials. In the trials, he digs more deeply into his faith. At the end of it, Jesus meets him and brings perfect goodness out of it where worship happens. My friends, Jesus wants to write a sight story in your life. He wants to invite you into a story where your past is being redeemed, your present is stronger, more full of his peace, his grace, his power, his resilience, and your future is full of the joy of the Lord. The way that we step into that story is by being willing to move some things out of the way that we might see Jesus, that we might step into his magnificent, beautiful story. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for being patient with us as we uh, sometimes don't want to move things. Thank you for being kind to us as we sometimes settle for life apart from you. Thank you for being a pursuer of people. And Lord, I pray for my friends who are here. I'm going to start with people who are here who aren't sure they believe any of this. Lord Jesus, would you give them the courage to move some things out of the way, to step into your story? to be open to seeing you and open to you moving in their lives. Pray for my friends who are here who are in hard places. They're tired, they're overwhelmed, they're exhausted, they're struggling, they're asking for you to move in some way, shape, or form in their lives. Lord Jesus, is there a step of faith that you would invite us to take, invite them to take particularly? Would you give us the courage and strength to do that? Lord, I pray for our community. As Chatham Community Church, would we be people who are stepping into this beautiful, redemptive story? Would you help us to remove the barriers? Would we be a church that isn't putting up more barriers, especially not religious barriers, to people seeing you? Lord Jesus, forgive us for we've done that as a church. We haven't done it on our purpose, but sometimes we're blind to our blind spots. So Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that as a church, we need you to free us from the barriers that we might put up that would keep people from seeing you. And we ask, Lord Jesus, you would give us eyes to see. Help us, Lord Jesus, by the power of the Spirit. Give us eyes to see. Give us eyes to see. Give us eyes to see. And then give us courage to step into your beautiful, redemptive 
story. We ask it in your strong mind name, Jesus. Amen, amen, and amen.